The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
You're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss a little something here about uh, the deeper mysteries and about sleep and initiation. Uh, And we're going to actually be reading tonight from a book called The Mystery Schools by Grace F. Noach. And uh, this is a very interesting book, and it talks about the history of these uh, mystery schools and the secret society groups that have come about from the formation thereof. And it talks about uh, some of the uh, depths of these mystery teachings. Uh, So tonight we're going to delve into uh, a chapter here called Routes of Initiation, and it talks about some of these different connections that uh, we may not ordinarily pick up on, but uh, they are important nonetheless. Did you ever wonder why the elite class of this world are so, so very fascinated with all these ideas that surround death? Did you ever wonder why it's a death cult that runs the world? Well, this is because part of the deeper mysteries, or what they call the greater mysteries, are the teachings about the initiatory process of death. And also, uh, it relates sleep to that same initiatory process. And this is why these people are so hung up on these death cultish type ideas. Because death is a form of initiation into what they call the greater mysteries. Now, when you get down to brass tacks and uh, a lot of these teachings that the secret society groups and stuff put forward, they teach about the lesser mysteries and the greater mysteries. And most people only get initiated into what they call the lesser mysteries. So it's when you get to the higher uh, types of degrees within these various systems and the higher echelons of the different orders, that's when they take you into some of the deeper teachings, the teachings of the greater mysteries, as they call them. And the greater mysteries all teach about the process that is death and the initiation thereof. Uh, So that's why they are so fascinated with these death ideas. See, they think it's something special. It's an initiatory process. It's all part of the greater mysteries. And they therefore think they're special if they take part in this type of thing and use these hidden symbols and language uh, type representations of things uh, in the things that they do because they think that it shows others that they know portions of the greater mysteries, and therefore they are highly regarded as initiates or adepts. Uh, So this is how they kind of flaunt around some of these different ideas to each other. They think that it's a, a, a kind of badge of honor to utilize these different death ideas or push these death ideas in culture because it shows how nuanced and sophisticated they are because uh, they've risen to these high ranks, these lofty ranks within the secret societies, and they understand the mysteries of death. (laughs) 
Sounds a little convoluted, doesn't it, folks? But uh, this is absolutely one of the core tenets of, of the things that are taught, uh, because many of the ideas associated with death and the initiation process into the death cult are held up by what they call the greater mysteries, as we'll see as we read here tonight. So just to kind of preface that right off the bat. So we're going to go ahead and begin reading here. In the deeper mystery training, the pupil must not only learn to build the mystic vessel of awakened consciousness, which will carry him from plane to plane, but, in the process of such individual becoming, must rediscover for himself the ageless routes of initiation. In wisdom and foresight, nature is consistent throughout. One law, one plan, one structure. With charming thrift, she rehearses the pathways of initiation through the cycles of sleep and death. Death and its processes from the heart and core of the greater mysteries, through death of the inferior, the superior finds birth. Except the seed die, the flower cannot bloom. Except the flower die, the seed cannot form. He that loses Loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 10.39 Going to pause for a moment there, folks. So, essentially, what they teach within the greater mysteries is that death, being part of life, uh, is nothing other than a cyclical process. So, when we think in these terms, it says here that... Uh, Unless the seed die, the flower cannot bloom. So it's a transformation process. See, it's all about transfiguration, transformation, transmutation. It's an alchemical process. We all change. Uh, you cast off the old and become something new. So this is what's taught uh, within some of these death ideologies. It's kind of a death and rebirth cycle. And we can look at nature to give us and provide us an example of this. And they use the example here of the flower, right? The seed dies so the flower can bloom and then the flower dies so that the seed can form you see how that works uh, so it's a representation here of the ideas associated with death and uh, the author here goes ahead and makes the connection here to sleep as well so we see that the greater mysteries through death of the inferior the superior finds birth. So that's what this is talking about, the cyclical nature of things. See, this is the whole process in which they use the symbol of the phoenix, right? Out of the ashes of the old comes the new. It's death and rebirth. It's the same classic teachings throughout all different kind of philosophies, uh, throughout all time. It's not really as complicated as they try to make it seem. Problem is, some people within various secret society groups have taken some of these ideas and twisted and inverted and perverted them into things that they were not originally intended. And in so doing, the abuse of these concepts have twisted our modern um, elites of the day that have captured onto some of these ideas, these greater mysteries, and they've twisted them into this death cult mentality that we do see today. And it's a far cry from what the original teachings were had intended, but... Thus, that's where we wind up, as we see. But let's continue reading here. Sleep is an incomplete death, unconsciously experienced. Death is a complete sleep, unconsciously experienced. 
initiation is a self-conscious sleep or death of the lower elements with a fully conscious liberation of the spiritual soul along the pathways of sleep and death. I'm going to pause right there, folks. So here's the teachings in the greater mysteries. Sleep is a lesser version of death, you see, because when you're sleeping, uh, you experience things unconsciously, right? Uh, so when you're, this is what dreaming is. It's an unconscious type of experience. You, you don't consciously recollect it most of the time, but there's something happening, right? You're experiencing something. And this is what uh, the comparison goes to here. Now, it says here that death, death is a type of sleep, a complete type of sleep where uh, you experience things unconsciously, but it's an, in an initiation process. So that's the thing. It's a, an initiation process of the death idea. So sleep and death, they're initiatory processes, according to these teachings. Now, sleep would be an imperfect type of initiation process, wherein uh, through different things that happen while you sleep, you're supposed to experience and maybe be able to uh, um, kind of fulfill some initiatory processes later. Uh, so let's read on here. I don't want to confuse people right off the, the bat here. So we just read that where it says the uh, death of the lower elements with a fully conscious liberation of the spiritual soul along the pathways of sleep and death. So it's about freeing your spirit uh, in the death process. And uh, I guess sleep helps in this process, uh, the liberation of the spirit inclined to more spiritual things, free from the animal pursuits of the world, the physical pursuits. So let's read on and try and flesh this out a little bit more. In sleep, the body dies imperfectly, for the golden cord remains linked to the slumbering body. If the soul is not weighted with material desire, then a natural quiescence ensues. During the brief hours of nightly sleep, if the karma be favorable, the freed spirit soul may ascend out of the sphere of earth along the invisible magnetic pathways to higher realms. The ascent is instantaneous, followed by the return along identic pathways until the soul once again enters the sleeping body and a new day dawns. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. Notice the language used. A new day dawns. This is all the same type of symbolic language used throughout all the mystery teachings. This is one of the things they're talking about. So when they're talking about the dawning of a new, a new day, the dawning of a new era, a new age. They're talking about a death and rebirth cycle. They're talking about death of the old and the arising of the new. Okay, so let's keep that in mind as we continue on here. The pathways of sleep traversed night after night constitute an unconscious journey along the routes of initiation. Such momentary and unrecognized contact during sleep is not wasted. The very repetition of the self-same process acts as an invisible spur to the ordinary person. 
If the aspirations continue and the life is made purer, faint impressions of beauty and grandeur will penetrate the soul, intuitions will manifest, and the aspirant will find benediction sweeping into his days through nightly communion with higher spheres. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. In case some of you are unfamiliar with a lot of the teachings of these different secret society groups and these occult fraternities and the different things they teach, they teach that while you sleep, your soul goes out, leaves your body, and goes and does work in higher realms to help prepare the way for others and uh, uh, to try to achieve what they call the great work. So while you're sleeping, you unconsciously your soul goes out and does this stuff if you're one of the initiates right that's only if you're an initiate in one of their orders okay that your soul uh, actually will be able to do this will be able to depart your body and go out and work towards uh, these type of achievements to help others and to help yourself to achieve the proper initiatory processes to ascend to the next level when you die uh, so this is kind of one of the things that they claim they claim that uh uh, they, you do work. If that's if you're an initiate or an adept in one of their orders, right? That your spirit leaves and does work on a different plane while you're sleeping, and you don't have any conscious recollection of that, and you have no memory of that, and no idea it's even going on. But this is how they operate. So they tell you you're doing this great work, you're doing these great things, you're such a fantastic initiate right that's what they tell you uh you know if if you have a pure heart and you really follow their teachings uh then while you sleep your your soul leaves your spirit leaves and goes and does work on other planes now there's no way to empirically prove or disprove any of this okay i don't want to cast aspersions on anything that they're teaching here because there may be a core of truth to some of it but uh here's the problem we only can understand on a conscious level what happens to us. So when we are unconscious in the sleep state, uh, a lot of times confusion sets in. Our dreams often don't make sense to us. And we've discussed on this program before, what exactly is sleep? What are the ramifications of sleep? What goes on during sleep? What is, what is dreaming about? Uh, we've explored some of these aspects of thought. And here's the thing, we're really no closer to answers, but they do try to tell you that as part of the initiatory process and the ascension of the soul, the reunification of the soul with source, um, your soul will go out and, and do this work if you are um, initiated into one of their orders and you are, uh, what's the term I'm looking for, illumined enough? That's that's kind of one of the terms that they use, illumined, enlightened, awakened enough if you're, uh, you know, on this right spiritual path. Uh, they claim that, uh, you know, your soul will awaken on a certain level and be able to go out and do this stuff while you sleep, right? Be able to help others, perhaps help yourself. Uh, do work, just vague work. That's what they talk. They say that you're doing work in other planes. So they don't exactly describe what kind of work. Uh, there's There's not anything more than just telling you that work <laughs> that's the use that the word they use to describe what goes on what your spirit does when it leaves your body during sleep right they say it works goes out and it works on other planes okay well that's that's pretty broad <laughs> that's a generalized term so we we don't really have any idea uh, what exactly is being done specifically here but uh, at any rate uh, 
<laughs> so let's continue on. I don't want to lose anybody with any of that, but I thought I should explain a little bit of that process here. So they claim uh, that your nightly communion with higher spheres uh, will give you full benediction, right? Sweeping through your days and because of this. Let's read on. Death is the following of the same processes of sleep, only perfectly so. The body is cast off permanently and dissipates. The golden cord is withdrawn, and the soul, freed of its terrestrial elements, enters the spheres of temporary purgation. Liberated and cleansed of earthly dross, the soul ascends to its spiritual parent, the higher self, and in peace and bliss, undreamed of, pursues the identic journey of sleep. In each of the mansions of space, a stop is made, shorter or longer, depending upon the links of affinity formerly made through past experience of the spiritual soul until, strengthened by divine contact, it once again treads the ancient pathway and a child is born on earth. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. Once again, the same old references to reincarnation, death, and rebirth, right? This is what they talk about. So uh, they say here death is like a perfected type of sleep where you're free from this physical body. You go through a, uh, a stop somewhere along the way that they call temporary purgation where you're liberated and cleansed from all the uh, earthly dross, they call it, that you bring along with you, your experience and such like that. You're purified and then your spirit is sent on its way once again. Uh, back into the cycle of rebirth. So this is what they claim. And this is one of the things that they teach within these secret society groups. So they call this the treading the ancient pathway and a child is born on earth. So you're reborn again to do it all over again. Right? That's what they claim here. So let's read on. Thus, in death, the age-old routes of initiation are followed by the spiritual monad in conscious recognition, but as yet in unconscious appreciation by the ordinary human soul. A human being is many-sided. He has within him a divine monad, a spiritual soul, and a human soul, which works through his vital astral-physical nature. We must guard against the lower gaining dominion over the higher, and must watch carefully, particularly in discussion, of these holy themes, lest we become so fascinated by their beauty and intellectual splendor that we forget their essential worth, that of ethics." Unless an individual has made ethics the foundation of his character, his heart and mind will be continually shaken by the storms of desire. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. I don't necessarily disagree with that statement. I think ethics are a hugely important foundation for character, right? Your heart and mind need to be founded upon the, these ethical-type principles, or you will... Be shaken by the storms of desire, as it does say here. Uh, that would be the equivalent to uh, allowing our animal tendencies, our animal nature, to take over, where we just seek to uh, fulfill our desires, that kind of thing, uh, rather than looking at things in any spiritual type way. Uh, it mentions here a couple key uh, Key words that I think we need to discuss. It talks about the divine monad, a spiritual soul and a human soul. 
and that, that these work through the vital, astral, and physical nature. Uh, in these different secret teachings, they teach you that you have several different vehicles. Now, the number of these vehicles that you have depends upon uh, the different... Uh, the different secret society group or occult order that's teaching you these things, they vary. They range from three different vehicles to four different vehicles to as many as seven different vehicles. And these will explain in a future broadcast a little bit better uh, in the hermetic tradition because this actually encapsulates all of it and shows how they're all correct in these different ways. So they say you have your physical body, which we're all familiar with, this material realm, your physical vehicle here, your physical body. Uh, you also have a vital body and an astral body. And, you know, depending upon which one of these uh, different secret societies or secret teachings you're getting, they'll tell you there's also what they call the divine monad uh, or the higher self. Um, this would be the equivalent to a direct link to source. The direct link to God, the fractal image of you that is of God. Uh, so, it and it steps down through these various vehicles, through these different planes of operation. So, a lot of it gets confusing because all these different secret society groups teach something slightly different and use different words to describe the same things, and it gets confusing. So, that's why I said on a future broadcast, we'll discuss the Hermetic Principle and how it kind of covers all of the bases with this and explains it in a, a, a pretty um, understandable way. A pretty understandable way. So with that being the case, we're just going to touch upon it a little bit here tonight and just say that that's what this is talking about. So it says here that, uh, you know, this is generally what happens in regards to what these secret society groups teach. It's the whole cycle of death and rebirth, once again. And a lot of these ideas, there's nothing new about them. It's all the same teachings, just with slightly different twists on them. So they, they, they teach about the nature of reality, that it's actually different than what we're presented with. And here in the modern world, we're presented with just the physical 3D reality that we experience here consciously on a day-to-day -day basis within our lives. The physical realm, the material world, and uh, the whole purpose here. We've been bound to this material plane in many ways. And those controllers of this world, those people, those elites, those uh, dark occultists who run things in this world, they very much want us bound in that type of a mindset that we uh, only accept that if something is a physical, provable, objective thing here on the material plane. That's the only way we can prove its existence or uh, accept it as being what we would call quote-unquote real. Now this disregards a lot of spiritual aspects of things and a lot of supernatural aspects of things, but this is exactly what they want. They want you set in that uh, frame of mind where you accept that this is all there is, is what we see here in the physical and that all our sensory processes and stuff like that are nothing but byproducts of this physical material world. And that uh, everything could be explained in this way. And there's nothing beyond here. This is what they want people to believe. Because if they have you bound to that ideology, then you will accept 
things like the notion of transhumanism. The only way we could have any type of immortality, live forever, and do away with sickness and death and pain and all these things, is if we go for this technological type of ascension process that they call transhumanism or posthumanism, where you will merge your mind with that of a computer and you'll live forever in a digital realm. And it's totally artificial and it flies in the face of natural science. But this is what they want. They want people to buy into this paradigm because that's the only way they could achieve the godhood that they seek here is through the usurpation of this physical place and the cutting off of the minds of men from the mind of God. And that's essentially what it is when you are bound in rigid thinking in terms of strictly physical concepts here, as much of our modern science presents things, then your mind is somewhat cut off from the mind of God. You're cut off from source. Uh, so therefore, that allows them to create a new channel for information rather than being able to intuitively know something or instinctually inherently know something that uh, derives from source or God, the mind of God, they will intervene and they will now be the new gods of this place. They'll be the ones that will t provide your thoughts and your thinking for you. You see how this works? And they can only do this by binding you in this material paradigm. So that's what they seek to do, and that's what this whole transhumanist philosophy is all about. Uh, you know, I know they will uh, try to dress it up as being something positive, and, uh, you know, technologies can be a wonderful thing that could help a lot of people, and that's true to a certain degree, but the problem is the people controlling the direction it's all going do not have the best of intentions in mind for us, and that's why... It's such a concerning thing, because when you look at the spiritual ramifications that underlie all of this and realize that the ones at the top of the power structure that are steering this are these dark occultists who understand a lot of these things and want to be God in no uncertain terms, want to rule this place, want to uh, set up their own false paradigm, be the rulers of this place, the, these ones that in their hubris, think they could make a better world than God, the Creator, and they truly, sincerely think they can, and they want no part of this God or Creator, so they cut themselves off in their hubris from Him, from the Source, and they will try to build this artificial thing of their own, where they are now the Source, and that's what they want, and they want people to depend on them as the Source for the answers. And it's, it's really a nefarious type of a system when it comes down to it. We'll expound upon that a little bit more in future broadcasts here. But let's get back to the reading. Thus, in death, the age-old routes of initiation are followed by the spiritual monad in conscious recognition, but as yet in unconscious appreciation by the ordinary human soul. A human being is many-sided. He has within him a divine monad, a spiritual soul, and a human soul which works through his vital astral-physical nature. We must guard against the lower, gaining dominion over the higher, and must watch carefully, particularly in discussion, of these holy themes, lest we become so fascinated by their beauty and intellectual splendor that we forget their essential worth, that of ethics.' 
Unless an individual has made ethics the foundation of his character, his heart and mind will be continually shaken by the storms of desire. And I apologize, folks, I know we read that already, but uh, I just read it again so we remember where we were at uh, before I went off on my little side tangent there. So let's read on. Those who care for little beyond the immediate will have scant attraction to deeper things, but those who have begun to think and feel intuitively may find themselves irresistibly drawn to the ancient wisdom. However, to those already stirring from the sleep of matter, warning is repeatedly given against entertaining the notion that initiation is just around the corner. One must defend the heart against selfish desire for so-called occult powers, as one would defend oneself against the bite of a serpent. The initiations referred to, more particularly in the previous chapter, are not described but only alluded to as hints of what some day the worthy disciple may find himself fortunate enough to experience. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So the author here is talking about some of these soul powers uh, and the soul science thereof, these uh, occult powers that... Uh, they claim that initiates through years and years of intense training could maybe someday develop different abilities like uh, clairvoyance and different things like that. Uh, so that's what the author's alluding to here when they're talking about uh, the, the initiations referred to in the previous chapter here and how it's alluded to for hints of what uh, the worthy disciple may be, you know, find himself fortunate enough someday to experience. So, uh, once again, it's one of the things, but also it offers a warning here. A warning that uh, you must defend your heart against the selfish desire for these so-called occult powers. And this is where a lot of these, uh, you know, people that follow these occult teachings, where they get it wrong. They're more interested in acquiring power over others. And that's what these, this occult power kind of idea is. So even though this author cautions against those selfish desires, there are many that tread these paths, and this would be called the left-hand path, uh, the the Black Brotherhood, uh, because there's the, the White Brotherhood, the Great White Brotherhood, and the Great Black Brotherhood. Uh, these are various distinctions that are made between people that follow these different initiatory paths. One would be the right-hand path, the path of good and altruism, love, and the left-hand path, the black path, the one that just seeks power. Power over others, power over self, power over the situation. The power to build your own soul, your own world. This kind of power. And uh, the problem is that there's many that follow that path, and they don't heed this warning. They seek out these occult powers just for the purpose of controlling others. And there are some karmic principles that go along with that that we won't get into right here. But with that being said, they knowingly go down this path, and they make preparations along the way so that they don't have uh, any kind of karmic pushback for the things that they do, and that's why certain things in this world that have been exposed exist in the way that they do. Have you ever heard of Bohemian Grove? Have you ever heard of uh, what, what goes on there? How they offer a mock sacrifice to this giant 40-foot owl 
and they call it the cremation of care ceremony where they burn an effigy which is a mock ritual sacrifice of a person where they they make an effigy of a person uh, a, a coffin uh, a casket type thing uh, with a mannequin or something similar inside and just for clarity's sake some people have claimed that they actually do really sacrifice real living people there it's been, the claim has been made i can't verify any of that uh, but what we do know about it is we've seen uh you know video of this we've heard stories about this and they claim that it's an effigy it's just a a, a mock sacrifice that they do and it's all just you know for fun for giggles right <laughs> they just do this stuff for giggles it's just a ritual it's just a big boys club and that's all even though it's some of the you know most influential and powerful people in the world that meet there once a year and do this stuff but th this is what that's about the cremation of care because what this does is this is a cleansing ritual designed to offset any karmic principles that perhaps these people who put on this ceremony have incurred against themselves in some way by doing devious things it's a kind of atonement for them right it's a cleansing process for them and this is one of the ways that they attempt to skirt karmic retribution for the things that they do those that follow the left-hand path uh, and that's just one example of some of the things that they do and, and that's a well-known one if anybody if you're not familiar with the idea of what bohemian grove is or the bohemian club the cremation of care ritual or any of these things go look it up now some have uh, said that uh, the giant 40-foot owl statue there represents Moloch. That's not true. That's a misdirection. Don't fall into that. That's certainly not what that is. Uh, but yeah, you can understand the inference that's made there. Uh, but at any rate, let's, let's not harp on about that. If you're interested in that, go look up that topic for yourself. There's plenty of other people that have covered that. Uh, so check that out. But... Uh, at any rate, that's what it's about. It's about trying to skirt karmic principles. Uh, that's why they, they do the things they do there. Why they meet once a year at specific times. And a lot of that is, you know, tuned to the sky clock. Because numbers and, and timing of everything is, is key within the natural order of things. And they understand this. So they know how to leverage these different energies, these naturally occurring energies that are inherent with uh, the time of the year and the sky clock and all of these different things, how all these things align in different ways. And that's why they try to uh, present this stuff as silly nonsense to the public. It's not. It's far from it. So at any rate, it's let's get back to the reading because I think I've gone off on a too much of a side tangent there with that. But uh, where do we go? Leave off here. In summation, over and over the journey of initiation is traversed. In sleep, imperfectly. In death, more perfectly. Nightly by the soul in sleep, periodically by the soul in death. Unconsciously undergone, nature thus rehearses that which the soul must one day follow with will and conscious fully active. With will and consciousness fully active. Sorry about that. This latter process is the journey of initiation, the deliberate paralysis of terrestrial influence, followed by the self perceptive journey through every plane and sphere of the cosmos. 
In his esoteric tradition, Pure Rucker elaborates, quote, the purpose of the passing of the monad post-mortem through the various planetary chains is to allow it to free itself on each such planetary chain of the integument or habiliment or vehicle, which belongs to the vital essence of such planetary chain. It is only thus that the monad strips off from itself one after the other the different coatings with which it has enwrapped itself during its long evolutionary journey. And thus, when it has freed itself from all the seven coatings, it is then ready, because freed and in its pure and unclothed state, to enter into its own native spiritual home. When the return journey towards Earth's planetary chain begins, the monad then passes through all these same seven planets, but in reverse order to that by which it has ascended through them, and in each such planet that it visits, it picks up and reassumes or clothes itself in the life atoms forming the coatings that it had previously dropped or cast off in each one of these seven planets respectively. And that's the end of the quote there, and that's from Pure Rucker. I'm not sure who, who Pure Rucker is, but uh, he wrote a book called Esoteric Tradition. Apparently, he was one who studied these things. And this talks about the evolutionary journey of the soul. You see, folks, the idea of evolution far precedes anything that Darwin ever wrote. That's a misrepresentation of what the teaching of evolution has always classically been. Uh, it's a total perversion of the evolutionary idea that was inherent uh, through the ancient mystery schools. This was known from time immemorial. They've talked about evolution from time immemorial, but it's not the evolution that we think of in the modern era. It's about the evolutionary journey of the soul, the process in which the soul uh, takes on manifestation here in this physical realm that we're in and how it passes through these different realms, these seven different realms. And uh, as I had said earlier, some traditions teach about seven different vehicles that it uses or seven different bodies or body types, right? And, you know, in this particular tradition, I think she was only talking about three of them. And in others, it's four. But in total, it's seven. And we'll we'll discuss this again in a further episode uh, when we touch upon the hermetic principles involved, because it kind of explains how they work. Because there's three duads and one monad, and that constitutes the seven, the idea of the seven. And this is, once again, why numbers are a hugely important part in all of this. Uh, so the three duads represent two phases of these different three bodies or vehicles. And the monad represents the higher self, or the source, the source idea. So, I know some of this stuff gets a little convoluted and hard to follow at times, and I, I try my best to simplify it. But in all honesty, it takes many years of study and reading through this stuff to try to break down the nuances of it. And sometimes it's hard to translate into words to somebody that's not familiar with some of the teachings. And that's why I try to you know, uh, do a little bit more at a time with this stuff to try and feed the ideas forward so that people could pick them up and understand what uh, these secret society groups put out, what it is they're trying to teach. And like I always caution people, a lot of this stuff you need to take with a grain of salt. 
There's no way to prove or disprove any of it. And although I feel, I, I intuitively feel that uh, there's some cores of truth at the heart of a lot of this, I know for sure, uh, deep within my soul and within all my being and, and everything else, that many of these teachings have been so convoluted at this point as to make uh, much of what they put forward at this point the actual actual absolute inversion of what the original intention behind it was or what the original teachings were. Uh, so that's why we need to be careful. So although I do think there's a core of truth to a lot of this, many of the ideas need to be taken with a grain of salt and kind of analyzed and uh, given uh, the scope of discernment from each individual. Uh, I don't advise people on what they need to believe or anything like that. Use your own discernment. You'll be able to, uh, through enough time and study, be able to pick out uh, what is maybe something uh, that's a good point within these things, and to be able to discard the things that are utter nonsense or are in some way inversions or perversions of the original te teachings of these different processes. So that being the case, it all comes down to individual discernment. And this is something that everybody needs to work on on their own. Uh, so that's the thing. That's how the alchemical process works. That's how many of these things work. That's how individual experiential processes work. We all learn things based upon our experience. And, uh, you know, we are able to make discerning choices based upon our experiences. What we've seen, what we're able to prove for ourselves. What we're able to disprove for ourselves. Uh, what we're able to maybe take with a grain of salt, as I advise, and maybe take that information, stick it in the back of your mind somewhere, remember it, because you might need it later. And if not, then oh well, it's information, it's neutral. And that's something that's kind of been uh, ingrained in our society. We've been indoctrinated to think that any of these occult-type teachings or any of this stuff is inherently evil or bad, and we shouldn't do it, we shouldn't, uh, shouldn't learn these things, shouldn't read about these things, shouldn't try to understand these things. And that's, that's a sad misnomer. Uh, the only reason to hide information from people is to use it as a tool to control people. And that's why these secret societies at the core of things are inherently a bad thing because they seek to hide information from people. And the only reason you need to hide information from people is to control them or manipulate them in some way. You see? And this could be said for mainstream religions and religious traditions because they'll tell you the same thing. Oh, that's the devil. Don't look at that. Don't read that. You don't want any part of that. Uh, don't learn about that. That's not true. That's the devil. Well, here's the thing. Even if you think that it is evil and it is nonsense, isn't it important to know what your enemy does? How they think, what they believe, why they do the things they do? Their methods that they use? So, I think it's important to look at this stuff in order to have a better understanding of these things. So... I, I don't think that stands up to scrutiny if you really break it down logically. Why hide information or why seek to purposely avoid information? 
See, it, it, it doesn't make any kind of sense. It's not going to contaminate your mind. If you are of sound mind already, and you have a strong relationship with your Creator, if you have a strong relationship with God, this information is not going to taint you in some way or turn you to the dark side. You know what I'm saying? It's important to understand where your enemy is coming from, at the very least. So even if there's not a core of truth to any of this, it's still important to understand why they do the things they do. Because, make no mistake about it, whether or not you believe any of this stuff, there are people in positions of power in this world that absolutely believe in this stuff and act upon it. And what they do to act upon it will affect all of us. So it's important that we understand why it is that they teach the things they teach, they do the things they do, and, you know, what their methods are. So how do we learn that unless we read what it is that they've kept hidden from us? They have information, they're privy to information that the average person doesn't have. They've taught us through generations and generations and generations of mind control programming and indoctrination to discredit certain ideas, things like astrology. They want us to think it's silly, it's nonsensical, when in fact there are real energetic natural principles that can be leveraged by understanding the position of different stars in the sky, by understanding where we are during the year. We're coming upon the fall equinox right now. When we have the equinox, the fall equinox, we'll be going into a cycle of declination. They fully understand this, and they leverage this against us. Why do you think all the new television programming comes out in the fall? Because they know that the inherent energetic principle of the cycle is leading the human mind towards a free fall, into a sleepy state that is known as winter. Uh, so, with this being the case, it's time, the time is ripe, for the imprinting of new ideas into the fragile human psyche. They understand this. That's why they do that. See? So, these are information, this is information that they've had and they've kept from us for a long time within these different secret society groups and uh, different occult orders and fraternities. And that's what these people at the top of the power structure in this world understand that most people don't. So they know how to leverage this stuff, and they do so to get optimum effect. And they've, uh, through many, many centuries, they've perfected some of these ideas. And they have successfully taught Western culture especially to disregard this stuff as nonsensical, when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. It's very important to understand the cyclical nature of time. So, like I said, uh, the whole point here is there's different principles at play here that we need to have a firmer grasp on. And there are some core truths to some of the things they teach. But even if there's not, even if there's not, it's still important to know what their thinking process is so we know why they do the things they do and we can counteract that. So that's why it's important to go through this kind of stuff. At any rate, let's continue with the reading here. So important is this journey that the greater mysteries dealt almost entirely with the processes of the mystic death. 
As stated in the previous chapter, the fourth initiation comprised a partial descent into lower spheres accompanied by a partial ascent into superior spheres. The soul, as yet, has not developed sufficient strength to withstand the full revelation of the universe. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. So, you see here, the greater mysteries, they dealt almost entirely with the process of mystic death. That is why the death cult runs things. That's why they're hung up on death principles, because, see, this is the greater mysteries. They have a deeper understanding of the greater mysteries. They embrace death. They are not as fearful of death as the average person, because they understand it's a cyclical process. And they think in their hubris that they could overcome death through the advent of advanced technologies in this day and age. They feel that uh, by working, playing the long game the way that they do, at some point they'll be able to achieve their goal. And if they don't do it this time... Next time around, when they come through here, see, because they believe in reincarnation, they believe, okay, they'll go through this period of purgation, and then they'll be reborn here. And when they come back and are reborn here, then possibly at that point, they'll get to that technological point where they'll be able to pull off something like uh, this usurpation of the physical realm and... Uh, what I would call the transhumanist notion here. It's the same thing that's been taught from time immemorial. It's the Ubermensch idea from Nazi Germany, the Superman. And the, these things go way back. It's all the same ideology. It, it's the same philosophy that goes as far back even as the Garden of Eden. See, if you, you eat the fruit, the day in that you eat the fruit, you'll be as gods. It's the great lie from the Garden of Eden, and that's what they, they seek to do. They think that they could achieve this great lie and turn it into a new paradigm, a new world order. You see? And they, they could usurp the God of Heaven, the creator of this place, and become the new power here. They could completely cut him off from humankind altogether, and they will now be the power in charge here. They'll have full control and reign over this place. This is what they believe. This is what they teach. That mankind, through his intellect, can conquer nature, overcome nature, and be the god of this place. Now, it's a little convoluted, the way they think about it, but uh, this is exactly, in a nutshell, what they teach and what they want and what they're looking for and what the whole end game of the transhumanist notion is. See, to become post-human, they want to be something greater than mankind. They want to be gods of this place in no uncertain terms. It's the same old story, going back to the Tower of Babel. Same thing. Nimrod and his people, they built this tower to the heavens. Nimrod intended to climb this tower to the top and slay God and take his place. Look what happened to the Tower of Babel. It collapsed catastrophically. That's what this story is warning against, this kind of thing. We've been here before, folks. This this is all cyclical. Uh, we've been through, you know, these different cycles of time where man advances himself to a certain degree, then doesn't heed the warning that he needs to, you know, step it down a notch, slow it down, don't let his hubris get the better of him. At some point, he builds a system so grand, so grandiose that it... Uh, 
flies in the face of the creator and the way natural science works, nature always self-corrects. So when you build something that is an affront to the natural order, when it's an abomination to the natural world, there are catastrophic consequences. And this is, you know, borne out in the Bible, the Holy Bible, and various other teachings. It's all through different mythology, through different cultures, different religions, all these same ideas, right? Uh, but uh, here in the West, we're probably most familiar with the biblical stories involved here. The Great Flood, the same thing is said of the Flood. The Flood was uh, due to the incursion of uh, these different fallen angelic beings here on Earth, and they mated with human women and taught them all sorts of different things, taught mankind different things. And uh, it's claimed that uh, the, the Nephilim or the, you know, the fallen angelic beings, whoever came here uh, during Genesis chapter 6, uh, they began to genetically engineer the world, and thus this is why the Great Flood occurred and wiped them all out, with the exception of a, a rare few that still cropped up in later eras, but uh, their numbers diminished to the point where they are pretty much extinct. Uh, and, and there's a lot of different uh, theological teachings that go along with that too. I'm not want to get uh, too involved with that here tonight, but uh, there's different thought processes that go along with that. But you, you understand the warning is there, right? That uh, we need to be mindful of this, but uh, those dark occultists that run things, they, they don't seem to ever learn the lesson, do they? They think they can do it better this time. So it's the same thing. It's, it's how socialism works. We we could do it better this time. That's not real socialism. <laughs> Historically, it's always ended catastrophically everywhere it's been tried. Uh, but, you know, hey, it is what it is. This is the way that this goes. It's all part of the cyclical nature. Uh, not to get too hung up on those different ideas, but uh, let's, let's read on here. So the, the whole crux of the matter is here, the, the soul as yet has not developed sufficient strength to withstand the full revelation of the universe. There is a Babylonian legend which points to a mystery teaching. Ishtar descends to the underworld and, arriving at the gates of Aralu, or Hades, stands beautiful and regal. The archaic decree, however, demands that none may enter the dread precincts of the underworld who are not bare of garment or jewel. Therefore, at each of the successive gates through which Ishtar must pass, the keeper divests her of some garment or ornament, first her crown, then her earrings, then her necklace, then the ornaments from her bosom, then her many-jeweled girdle, then the spangles from her hands and feet, and lastly her loincloth. And that comes from Will Durant, The Story of Civilization. I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So notice through each successive gate here she passes, there's seven of them where she divests or gives away one of her garments or ornaments, first the crown. And you'll notice the order it goes in, the crown, the earrings. These correspond with the chakras if you begin to study these things. And you'll notice all these things always align with the same basic principles. The seven traditional planets or, uh, uh, you know, uh, luminaries, the wandering stars in the sky that were observed, that are held in classical astrology and classical alchemy. There's seven planets. There's the seven uh, chakras. And all of these things correspond in different ways. Uh, so th this, once again, is showing the same thing. So this is 
teaching about in the process of death. First you cast off the crown and then you cast off uh, the other ornaments. It, stepping through the different uh, portions of the chakra system here. It all equates to a lot of the same principles. And all these things align in, in many different ways. See, it's that correspondence. It's the hermetic principle as above, so below. As within, so without. And it's amazing how all these things have these correspondences. And that's why I think there are some core truths to the things that they teach. But at the same token, uh, are they teaching the proper interpretation of these things? Hard to say. But uh, let's continue reading. Uh, and we'll leave the discernment up to you, the listener here. Free and pure, she enters the land of no return, where her sister, Areshkigal, holds sway. Full of jealousy, she sends against Ishtar sixty diseases. Having passed the tests of the lower world, Ishtar retraces her steps through the seven gates, receiving in reverse order the garments and jewels which she had cast aside on her descending journey. And finally, as she ascends into the regions of light, Ishtar is adorned with the seventh jewel, the crown of spiritual glory. The descent to the underworld is not an automatic process, but a willing decision to undertake the journey as a supreme test of intellectual and spiritual integrity. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. So the descent to the underworld is not an automatic process, but a willing decision to undertake the journey as a supreme test of intellectual and spiritual integrity. Uh, descending into the lower worlds, the underworld. It has to be a willing process, a willing decision by the soul to take. And it's to test their intellectual and spiritual integrity. This is exactly what it said that uh, Jesus did when he died on the cross. He ascended into the lower worlds and he took the keys of hell and death and came back with them. And now he has power over that and he makes the decisions based upon that. Uh, so he's made a way for everybody else. Uh, so a lot of these initiation ideas can be uh, compared one-to-one -one with different uh, religious allegories and things like that and, and different stories in this way. So uh, here's the thing. So Jesus came, he ascended willfully, willingly into the underworld to take our place. And in so doing, because he was supremely capable, he had all the spiritual integrity and intellectual integrity to do so, whereas your average human being does not. Any human being does not. And see, that's where there's misdirection and lies among these different secret society groups, because no one is worthy, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned except for Jesus Christ, who was able to actually do it. And this is what was called the mystery of Golgotha. Uh, when he came here to earth in a physical form and he died on the cross, he descended into the underworlds, grabbed hold of the keys, and laid siege to that because he was the only one worthy to do so, because he was the only one that had the integrity, the intellectual and spiritual integrity to do so. He was perfect. He was not flawed, as human beings are. Uh, so, with that being the case, he was able to do this. So he made a way now for others 
for everyone else. And this is a huge stumbling block to these people, and he did say he would be a stumbling block to them, and boy was he correct. Because now this kind of uh, makes their teaching here uh, impertinent, doesn't it? <laughs> so uh, with that being the case here, they're trying to teach within these different mystery schools or secret society groups that uh, if you're just you know, you know, have enough spiritual and intellectual integrity. If you're just that good and you undertake this uh, descent into the underworld upon the process of death, and then you could overcome and be an ascended master. See, it's all about power and ego. Because you would undertake this to become an ascended master, in, in their view. Because, see, you're good enough, Right. You're, you're smart enough. You, you've got all the intellect. You've got the integrity. You're spiritual enough. You have all these occult spiritual powers that you've gained through the initiatory process. You've gone through the rites and the rituals. Uh, you've done everything you've been told. And you're loyal to the order and the brotherhood. And you do all this. And it's for the greater good of humanity. And now you become an ascended master because you're so masterful and good at this. You've become such a good person. Whereas that's not the reasoning why Jesus went there. He went there because he knew he was the only one that could in order to make a way for mankind to receive this spiritual ascension and that those that sought it here within the mystery schools, they were seeking after a lie and they were doing more harm to their souls and their selves than good by attempting something like this or by teaching something like this. And so even, you know, with them being taught this, if they had any doubts whatsoever, they wouldn't want to try to undertake this type of thing, would they, upon their death? So they would come back into the recycling process here, or at least that's the story we get from the, the secret society groups and the mystery schools. But let's let your own discernment decide what you think is, is good information here and what's not. Uh, but at any rate... <coughs> Let's continue reading here. I'm going to read that sentence again, and then we'll continue on. The descent to the underworld is not an automatic process, but a willing decision to undertake the journey as a supreme test of intellectual and spiritual integrity. If the candidate succeed, union with the divine and bliss supernal will be his. If he fail, then death or madness lies in store. Far better had he never ventured upon these trials, for fearful indeed are they. But all is not lost, for in the future life for sorry, for all but all is not lost, for in a future life he may try again. If the aspirant has though through austerity, utter devotion, discipline, and learning become as gold in the fire, swift and sure will be his passage through the lower worlds. With the flame of spirituality burning within, the successful candidate rises to the spheres superior, where the passage from planet to planet is made with full awareness. Passing the ultimate test, the pupil, now become master, returns to earth and to his entranced body. The guardian of the initiation chamber, who has watched over the body of his disciple with patient and loving care, is filled with joy. The initiation is consummated. And that's the end of the chapter there, folks. So you see, the promise is, if you're good enough, if you have enough spiritual and intellectual integrity, and you undertake this journey, well, then you'll be rewarded. But if you fail, 
Well, then all's not lost because you'll come back and try again. Over and over and over again. Here's the problem with that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So reunification with the Creator, with God, the, the one who made all, the Supreme Being, this atonement with God, it's not possible for a regular man. You have to be flawless to do that. There's no perfect person I've ever met in this world. No human being here alive today is perfect and could accomplish this type of a feat. But yet they teach that, uh, you know, if you have enough initiations and, you know, you go through the right processes and the training and you aspire to do this kind of thing, you could become an ascended master. And the guardian of the initiation chamber who watched over the body of his disciple with patient and loving care is filled with joy that the initiation is consummated. See, it's, it's all about the initiation process. That's why death is caught up in many of the ideologies of the elite. Uh, because they see it as part of the greater mystery. They see it as part of uh, the necessary process in order for them to ascend themselves to the next level here. Of course, their idea of ascension to the next level is different from than what we would think. See, they want ascension to the next level here in the physical world. They want absolute power here, control here. They don't want to have to go to another plane. They don't want to have to go through the process. That's what they seek. That's why they push this whole transhumanist idea the way they do today. Because they see it as being the fulfillment of all they want. It's, it's the end of the journey for them. It's absolutely what they want. They want to be God. They want to control everything in this place, in this material realm. They think that uh, by trapping themselves and others here with them, that they could circumvent this natural cycle of things, this natural process, this death and rebirth process. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? They really firmly believe they could circumvent this whole system if they could just somehow, some way, overcome aging and sickness and death here in this world. If they could do this through some type of technology, if they could figure out how the physical process of thinking works, of thought, consciousness, if they could figure out how this works, they could transfer their mind into a different physical vehicle here, indefinite physical vehicles here, where they could live on here in the physical material world forever. It's a false form of immortality, and it's a false form of control. If they could do this, if they could build a digital world in which they have full control and consciousness and could assert their consciousness into this digital realm and whatever manifestation they seek to, they could become the true gods of that place. Well, the problem is they have to build that digital realm within the auspices of the natural world and within the auspices of natural law, which is absolutely immutable. And that's the problem. They seek to circumvent natural law and they can't do it. 
But in their hubris, they think that maybe they could pull it off. So they're going to try. They're giving it their all because they see this as their ticket. That way they don't have to get back on the treadmill here and go back through the hamster wheel of the whole cycle of things again and again and again. And this is also one of the reasons why I say, and uh, you know, Christ said it himself, he's a stumbling block for these people because he makes this whole cyclic cyclical nature of things, this whole process, immaterial. Absolutely unnecessary. He made the way for us. We don't have to go through this endless hamster wheel of death and rebirth, death and rebirth, death and rebirth, to learn these spiritual, uh, you know, lessons and stuff like that, and keep going through the process over and over again in order to ascend to the next phase of things, to a higher level, to uh, atonement with God, to reunification with Source. We don't have to do that. He made a way, whereas we don't have to. Yet, the vast majority of these people within these secret society groups and within these different uh, fraternities and these teachings, they feel the need to do this. They think that they could achieve it themselves, and they'll just keep going at it. And if they don't, then, oh, well, they'll come back again and do it again. But is that true? This is what you have to think about. Or do we only have one go around here? They teach you all this stuff, and it sounds logical, and it sounds like there might be a core of truth to some of it. But what if they're wrong? What if we only got one chance here? And our Creator, who loves us so much, made a way where we don't have to worry about any of that, where we have a ticket to make this ascension process, and we have a way to this reunification with God, and we don't have to do any of this ridiculous-sounding stuff, where we go through these endless cycles of evolution over and over and over again, death and rebirth, death and rebirth. Is this true? Is this something, is this the way that it's set up? Do we really have to go through those different cycles? And did Christ step in and make it so we don't have to do that anymore? Or is this the only way? Or is this false? And that's not the way at all. We have to think about these things, and we have to keep an open mind about them. And like I said, I mean, a lot of these teachings, they have multiple source points. But it's all the same teachings over and over again. And I think there is some kernel of truth to some of it. But at the same token, if you could get off this hamster wheel and, you know, get back to atonement with God and maybe ascend into a heavenly realm and move on to something better, something, uh, you know, of a spiritual elevation, somewhere where it's pleasant and there's, there's not this evil that permeates our culture here, somewhere more wholesome. Wouldn't you want to do that if you could? Or would you rather keep getting on the hamster wheel over and over again, bashing your head against the wall, learning the same lessons because you forget from lifetime to lifetime what lessons you learned in the previous lifetime, so sometimes you have to learn the same thing over and over and over again. It seems kind of pointless, doesn't it, when we have God stepping into human form to make a way for us, and he offers it as a free gift to everybody. Why would you not accept that? Would you rather keep coming back here? And having this cycle of necessity and hardship when there was a way made for you? I don't know. It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. And a lot of it comes down to our biases, our personal beliefs, our viewpoints on things as well. What our experience is. 
and each of us has to use our own discernment to figure out what's correct, what's incorrect. But I just like to present this stuff as information, as viewpoints, as uh, different possibilities, and go from there, because there are kernels of truth, there is value in all this type of writing of some sort to be garnered, and, you know, there's a whole lot of poison mixed in with a lot of it, too. So you have to really take it with a grain of salt. But it's information. It's not a bad thing. It's neutral. It's good to know. It's good to ponder upon and think about. You could think deeply, and you could think clearly. And you could come to some conclusions on your own, based upon your own experiences, based upon your own discernment. And maybe have a better understanding of things. But uh, the point is, there are people in positions of power in this world that do keep some of this type of information from the public at large, these different teachings. They don't want you to know about it for some reason or another, and there is some value to be garnered in these teachings and this information, and that's why they keep it from you, because they want to control you. So I think learning this type of information can be very liberating for people. You could understand something a little better about why things happen in this world the way they do. And it's important to put these ideas out there. But, uh, you know, we'll just leave the discernment to each one of us. We, we all have to decide for ourselves. Nobody could take your journey for you. Okay? That's the bottom line here. Now, uh, in my view, Jesus Christ stepped in and made a way for you where there was none before so that you could choose to take a different path from this endless hamster wheel and you could choose that as your journey instead of you know coming back and getting on the hamster wheel over and over again or you could choose the hamster wheel if you see fit to but you're taking your chances aren't you whereas there's a sure thing just set up for you and it's a free gift or you could choose to do it the hard way if that's your inkling to do and sadly that's what most people wind up doing they, they want to do things the hard way don't they? They want to do it my way, right? Like the old Frank Sinatra song. I did it my way. Well, your way is not always the best. God has a better way for you. And he prepared the way for you. And if you follow his plan for you, you will find that it's a much better way. So that's just been my experience. You could all take that how you see fit. You could take everything here with a grain of salt tonight. It's information. Ponder upon it. Wonder what's, you know, the, the truth of the matter. Try to discern what uh, different bits of truth are in there and what uh, bits of mistruth are in there. And understand for yourself that uh, the whole idea of initiation is hugely important to these people in positions of power in this world. And initiation, to a certain degree, is a natural process. We all go through different types of natural initiations, like uh, we go through different stages in life. We go through infancy, toddler, stage, childhood, adolescence. All these things are ty a type of initiation, a natural type of initiation. You don't have to join one of these stupid fraternities to go through some type of a, a uh, traumatic initiation process. It happens through life experience. We get initiations all through our life experience of sorts in the way they describe them here. So that's where the idea comes from. You don't need to belong to a secret brotherhood. And that's where they, they kind of 
miss the point here. They think they're the only ones with the answers. They're the special ones. They have all these different ceremonies and rituals and things that they do uh, to do these initial uh, initiation processes and stuff like that. And you know what? It's all not necessary. <laughs> That's the whole point. It's not necessary, but many countless people have fallen for this trick because that's the other factor involved in controlling people here. Not only do they control people that don't know about this stuff by keeping secret knowledge from them, they control those within their own order by using these initiatory processes and these rituals and all of this stuff against them. Uh, the whole point here is you don't need to join a secret society to undergo some type of initiation process. It's a natural thing that we all go through. It's called experience. It's life experience. And they've used this as a means of controlling their lower level members within the secret society groups. So not only do they keep secret knowledge from the masses that they use to control them, they use this initiation promise to control their own members, and that's the bottom line here. So that's what it's all about. So when we're talking about the greater mysteries, and it all involves the idea of death, and sleep is closely associated with death. It's called a lesser death of sorts uh, in some of the traditions. So that's the bottom line here. So they teach that sleep can prepare you for the ultimate initiation, which happens after death. And that's part of the core of the greater mysteries, and that's why they lock themselves in coffins and stuff like that as part of their initiatory rites. Because it's all about simulating the death idea. Death and rebirth. But anyway, folks, that's about it for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you all have a, a wonderful night.
Introducing the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world. That's freeworld.fm. Coming soon.